my name is Kenny Rager, and I serve with the Kentucky Baptist Convention, which is our network of Southern Baptist churches in the state of Kentucky. And I want to begin by just by saying thank you for being part of our network of family of churches, of the Southern Baptist Church of Kentucky. We want to say thank you because um, you each give to the cooperative program. Our churches decide to give a portion of, of whatever they decide to give to, for the cause of missions. And because of that, it enables ministries all across the state of Kentucky. So you may not know this, but because you're part of this church and giving through this church, you are blessing ministries like Sunrise Children's Services and Onita Bible Institute, Clear Creek Bible College. You are helping MSC missionaries to be on the field in the state of Kentucky to do things like pregnancy crisis centers and uh, clothes closets and food pantries. Uh, you are helping to put your KBC staff like myself on the field who can come and give consultation to churches and resources to churches free of charge. We don't need anything when we come just to be able to come and bless you guys. On a national level, because you're part of a Southern Baptist church and you are giving through the cooperative program, you are planting churches all across North America through the North American Mission Board. You are uh, planting churches in places like New York City and Philadelphia and Los Angeles and Portland. And oh my goodness, it goes on and on. Cincinnati, St. Louis, uh, Miami. I mean, the list goes on and on. And you are having a part in that. And in the bigger frame, because you are part of the Southern Baptist family, the Kentucky Baptist Convention, you are helping to place over 3,300 international mission board missionaries on the field overseas. They do not have to come home. They do not have to fundraise or, or try to raise their money. They are completely provided for because of churches just like this that give through the cooperative program. Isn't it amazing what we can do together? So on behalf of the convention, we say thank you so very much for being part of a Southern Baptist church and for, and for giving through the cooperative program. Well, I'm just tickled, happy to be here with you all today. So if you've got a copy of God's Word with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, if you would turn there this morning. Brother Scott said that you all have been doing this series about a verse that changed my life and, and, and something that, that God used to, to change your life and uh, having different speakers each week to talk about a verse that changed your life. I want to tell you something that cha has changed my life, if I can today. Um, this has caused me to get out of bed every morning. It's given me energy. It's made me happy. It, is, it has put zest in my step. It's something that has changed my life. It's coffee. Amen? <laughs> Does anybody love coffee in the house? Boy, I love coffee. I absolutely love coffee. And I'm not a coffee snob, okay? I'm actually the opposite of a coffee snob. I'm like a coffee, I'll take whatever you got kind of coffee. I, I can't tell you how many old pots of coffee in gas stations across the state of Kentucky I was willing to drink out of because I wanted coffee. I'm not a coffee snob under any circumstance, even though my wife did buy me a coffee of the month subscription for Father's Day. So I've made my, my way through the Indian coffee. Now I'm working on the Nicaraguan coffee. But I, I love coffee. I really do. I, I love coffee. So let's take a survey today. I know coffee's done in, in different ways. So let's just take a survey today. How many of you all are the iced coffee? You like the cold coffee? Raise your hand. 
I'm going to pray you get saved today. Those are the people that need to come forward to give their life to Jesus. Now let's see the people that are real lovers of the Lord. Who likes hot coffee in here today? Black hot coffee. Amen. Stronger the better. Hallelujah. Dark and black. Woo! That's the way to handle your cup of coffee, man. I'll tell you, I, I like to put my coffee uh, in, a, in, a, in a cup and then put my spoon in it and it just stands straight up. That's what I like about coffee. I love it. And, um, and you know, but we can all agree on something today, whether you are the cold coffee people or you are the hot coffee people, can we all agree today that room temperature lukewarm coffee is just disgusting? Can we agree on that today? It's just nasty. So we're, we're dividing it. We're, we're taking the divisions and we're bringing us together today. Everybody knows that the lukewarm room temperature coffee is just gross. It's not good under any circumstance. That, that term, lukewarm, that was a word that God used in my life. It was a word that he used to change my life. And I'm going to tell you more about that later, but God used that term, lukewarm, to speak to me as a 13-year-old kid to reorient my life towards the gospel and to actually surrender and accept his call to preach the gospel. That, that word God used in a powerful way that, that changed my life. It really did. Now, what does the word lukewarm mean? Well, we've already established it means room temperature, right? It means not hot, not cold. It's right in the middle. But there's this, this idea that a believer in Jesus, somebody who has accepted Christ as their Savior, they've repented of their sins, they have been born again, saved, on fire for God, could cool down and become a quote-unquote lukewarm Christian. You ever heard that term before, a lukewarm Christian? Room temperature, they're not hot, they're not cold. So what do we mean by lukewarm Christian? Well, it's somebody that's complacent. It's somebody that just, you know, they, they love Jesus, they accepted Christ, but now they just, you know, they're just there. They're just in the middle. They've calmed down a little bit. They've simmered down a little bit. They've become room temperature. Here's some other ways to describe lukewarm. You ready? They're indifferent. They're apathetic to the things of God. They're detached from the things of God, from his word, from prayer, from evangelism. They're uncaring about the things of God. They're not spiritual in their, in their way of thinking. They're not spiritual in their spirits. They're unloving. They don't have the love of Jesus flowing through them like they used to. They're undevoted. They're not devoted in giving. They're not devoted in prayer. They're not devoted in Bible study. They're not devoted in loving people. They're just lukewarm. They know Jesus, but they've cooled down. They're just right there. Y'all with me on that today? Lukewarm. They're just there. They're not hot. They're not cold. They're just there, existing. Room temperature, bland Christians. I want to share with you the verse that God used to change my life. Can we do that? Would you stand to honor God's word today as we read it? Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Jesus is speaking to the seven churches in Revelation, and the last one is the church of Laodicea. 
This is a hard word, but I want to read it to you today. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. The Word of God reads this, Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, he says to the church, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shamefulness not be exposed. And ointment to spread on your eyes that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for the word. May you bless it today. And Lord, I pray, God, that you, Lord, would help me to preach the gospel faithfully and within context. And Lord, if there is a Christian here who has simmered down, who is lukewarm, indifferent, uncaring, undevoted, that today would be the day that you bring them back, God, and they rededicate their lives afresh to you. And Father, if there be one today that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, they don't know whether or not they're going to go to heaven when they die. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So help us today, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. The seven churches in Revelation were written to real churches. They were real churches in, in, in time and space. And this is in the, ancient, uh, in the ancient world. And Laodicea was one of those churches. And it was in a town uh, called Laodicea that was under control of the Roman government. And this town was, was, was a wealthy town. They were a sophisticated town. They were actually known for two things. They were known for their production of wool. They made nice clothes, and they flaunted those nice clothes. And they also had a renowned medical center in that city where they produced eye ointment. They were famous for making expensive eye ointment, and people would often come to them and buy eye ointment in fancy clothes, which made them very wealthy. And sure enough, there was a church in Laodicea that sadly had begun to adapt the culture a little bit too much. They were looking a whole lot like the city was looking. And another, another thing that, that was really interesting about the city was that an earthquake had happened. And just as shows you just how wealthy they were, an earthquake devastated most of Laodicea. Nero, the emperor, comes in, and he offers them, them aid to rebuild the city. And they're so prideful and so wealthy, they say, no emperor, keep your money, we'll rebuild it ourselves. They were a prideful bunch. They were arrogant, to be honest with you. And then on top of that, they were extremely wealthy. And this church that was, that was in, this, in this area, again, was being infected by this area. They were being infected by the culture. Now, there's another unique thing about Laodicea. They were positioned, the city, the city was positioned between two other cities, Heropolis on one side of them 
and then Colossae on the other side. Now, one of those cities was known for their famous hot springs. You ever ever been to a place that had mineral hot springs and things like that, where people, I guess, enjoy soaking up the hot springs, right? And in one of those cities, they would go and they would have these hot springs they were known for. In the other city, they were known for cool water. Maybe there's artesian wells or something underneath it. And they were known for cool water, which was really uncommon in the ancient days. They didn't have ice machines back then. And in Laodicea, this was a different story. They didn't have a water source in Laodicea. So they had to use Roman aqueducts, pipes, kind of, to get water into their city. And even though this city was wealthy and it had a lot of education, it had medicine, they had to rely on lukewarm water. Because by the time that the water got to them, it was stagnant, it was, it was not cold, and it was not hot. And really, as fancy as this city was, their water supply was pretty gross. And I'm sure they didn't like that. Do you think so? They prided themselves on everything, so the fact they had bad water, probably they didn't care for that very much. And Jesus is addressing the church in Laodicea. And he's got a strong warning for them. He says he gives his credentials. He's definitely the originator. He is the one who's the faithful witness. He has the authority to speak to this church. And he speaks to them all right. And he tells them, he says, I wish that you were either hot or you were cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but you are lukewarm. This church, though they knew Christ, had become indifferent to the things of Jesus. They had calmed down. They had they quit caring. They were going through the motions. Were they coming to church? Absolutely. Were they singing praise songs? Absolutely. Were they serving? Absolutely. Maybe. But their hearts weren't in it. Nobody can relate to that, amen? <laughs> Nobody can relate to that at all. They were going through the motions. They had become indifferent, uncaring, unloving, undevoted, lukewarm. Now, we know what hot means. Jesus says, I, I, I wish you were either hot or cold. We know what hot means. That means you're on fire for God. You love Jesus. You got the Spirit of God flowing through you. The fire of God's in you. Man, you, you, you love Jesus. You're telling people about Jesus. Man, you're on fire. Now, the cold, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. Now, the cold, believe it or not, has some different interpretations, believe it or not. Um, some people believe the cold, either hot or cold, hold no, hot no doubts on fire for the Lord. The cold, some people would say, is, is, is a refreshing ministry, you know, to be able to, to help people, to recover, to renew, a therapeutic type ministry of, of blessing people, possibly. But then other commentators would say that cold just means lost, that you're cold spiritually dead. You don't know Jesus. Well, one or the other, can we just agree on this just like we did on the coffee? Jesus doesn't want you to be lukewarm. He doesn't want you to be cold. He doesn't want you to be stagnant. He doesn't want you to be uncaring, indifferent, and unloving. He wants you either ministering to people or preaching the word of God on fire, one or the other. He wants you to be loving and caring and devoted to Jesus. So today, if you're here and you have found yourself as a born-again Christian, you know Jesus, you know that you're saved, but unfortunately, you have one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world, and you've calmed down. 
My friend, Jesus is not pleased with that behavior. Christ is not pleased with his people not being on fire for him. So if you find yourself in a spiritually lukewarm state, hear me, you've got to leave it. You've got to leave it. You've got to come to Christ and be lit on fire for Jesus Christ. So friend, would you be willing to leave the lukewarm life? I want to show you what we need to do to leave the lukewarm life today. We've got to open our ears, okay? Everybody get your ears open this morning, and we're going to listen to Jesus. You ready? Number one, we need to listen to the warning of Jesus. Listen to the warning of Christ. If we're going to leave this, this indifferent, this stale, this stagnant, this bland Christianity of going through the motions of being unloving, undevoted, uncaring, if we're going to leave that behind, we need to listen to the warning of Jesus. Look what he says in verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I know we're using the ESV and it uses the word spit. I just like the CSB's translation because it doesn't get much more plainer than a, the good old-fashioned word vomit. Are y'all with me on that? Boy, that's some strong words. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And New King James translates it as vomit too. And that was the verse that that was the translation that was used when I was when, when God got a hold of me with this verse. But, but man, that, that's some strong imagery, isn't it? I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going I'm to vomit you out of my mouth. So what does this mean? Well, as the ESV says, some translations say spit you out of my mouth. And there's a reason for that. See, this, the only other time this phrase is used in the Bible is in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And it was a warning to the Israelites as they were getting ready to go into the promised land. God told them, they said, now boys, if you all start acting up and you don't worship me and you turn to other gods and all that other stuff, the land is going to vomit you out. It's going to spit you out. He says it twice in the book of Leviticus. Now, did that happen? If you read your Bible, you'll know that it did happen, didn't it? That the Israelites, they got the land, they set up the kingdom, they split to a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom, and the Assyrians came in and deported the northern kingdom, and the Babylonians came in and deported the southern kingdom. Is God, does, when God says something, you think he means it, yes or no? Now, when they were deported, they were spit out of the land. Let me ask you a question. Even though... They were ejected from the land where the Israelites steal God's people, yes or no? See, some people will read this verse and they'll say, well, vomit you out of my mouth. Is the Lord talking about them losing their salvation? Is the Lord talking about them you know, getting to a point where he just forsakes them as a Christian and they're thrown to the side? I don't think so. I think when you look at the totality of Scripture and the other teachings on eternal security, that, that a saved, born-again Christian is held firmly in the hands of Jesus. But here's what I do believe that means. That a believer in Christ who turns to the lukewarm life will not be used by God. They will become ineffective in their ministry. Just like the Israelites, were they a good witness or a bad witness when they were marched on down to Babylon? What do you think? Bad witness. People of God walking in shame. What I do believe a lukewarm life will do is that you will lose your effectiveness. Now, listen, I love coffee. Have we established that so far? 
I really like coffee, by the way. And I, y'all might have some brewing out there, do you? Oh, man, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But, but I like coffee. And I, listen, I'm telling you, I'm not a coffee snob. I'm just going to be honest with you. My favorite cup of joe is McDonald's black coffee. Any other McDonald's lovers in the house? Yes, hallelujah. That is more McDonald's coffee people in this room than there was at Springfield. So I'll see you all some Monday morning at McDonald's drinking coffee with you, all right? I love McDonald's coffee. You know, and at KBC, I'm, I'm traveling all over the state, and I live off of that coffee. And, man, they're, they're, I'd say that jokingly, but, like, I, it keeps me awake while I'm driving. Now, 98% of the time, when I go through the McDonald's drive-thru, 98% of the time, it is piping hot. It is awesome. It, it's great. It, it's wonderful. But every now and then, I will get my cup of McDonald's coffee, and I'll take my sip, and it's lukewarm. And it creates a reaction within Kenny that is just automatic. I can't help it. I just all over my windshield. Now, do not tell the executive director treasurer, Todd Gray of the KBC, that Kenny spits on his window in the KBC car that I drive, okay? Please don't tell them that, all right? But there's been more than one occasion where I've had to spit it out. Now, when that happens, I still need the coffee. So I drive back around. Anybody else ever done this? I drive back around, and I say, listen, guys, I love you. I always be nice to the people in the drive-thru because there's a brick wall between you and their food, okay? So always be nice to somebody in a drive-thru. And I say, guys, listen, I, I'm sorry. Can I get a hot cup of coffee? And what I'll do, even though it kills me, I'll get the hot cup of coffee, and I'll have to just pour out the, the nasty coffee. And as a coffee lover, that just breaks my heart, doesn't it, you? I need a moment of silence for every lukewarm cup that we've had to pour out. It just breaks my heart because I need that hot coffee. I can't use that lukewarm coffee. I can't do it. I can't use it, but I can use the hot coffee. Y'all see in the illustration here? If you're on fire for the Lord, God can use you. If you're indifferent, uncaring, the Lord may not use you. I ask you this question, is God using you right now? Are people coming to faith in Christ because of you? Are you serving in the ministries of the church to help bless the children or the community? Is the church healthier because of your prayers, because of your commitment to it? Is your family following Jesus because of your witness and your dedication? Are you being used by God? Well, can you, I don't think God's using me right now. Well, I ask you two questions. First, are you saved? Amen? Do you know Jesus? Are you spiritually dead? You need to just get saved. But if you are saved and the Lord's not using you, why? Why? Because you don't have to be a pastor to be used by God. Y'all know that? God uses every single person that follows him, whether you're in a pulpit or you are at the McDonald's drive through line. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. If you know Jesus, he can use you. Anybody believe that today? I do too. You're not worthless. So why do you live like you're worthless? You with me? Why do you live that way? You're not. You're so precious to God. So why are you not being used by God? Well, here's why. Because you've calmed down. You calm down. I love it when, new, when, when lost people get saved and they're, 
they're a brand new Christian, and man, they're just foaming at the mouth for Jesus, and and you know, man, they're they're doing everything. They say, man, I'll I'll sweep the floors, I'll do this, I'll go door knocking. Man, they're just crazy for Jesus. I love it. And then somebody will come along. Well, just that'll get out of your system. You'll calm down. My question is this: Why? Why? Why calm down? Amen, church? That's where the problems start. We need a bunch of ADD Christians running around here. Amen? We need them. We need them on fire for God, loving, being used by God. Where every word out of your mouth is Jesus. They'll say, well, don't think I'm a Jesus freak. Oh, buddy, I'd rather for them to think I'm a Jesus freak than I'm a lukewarm Christian. Are you on fire for the Lord? So listen. If you today are feeling ineffective in your ministry, let me ask you this. Are you willing to leave the lukewarm life? You need to listen to the warning of Jesus. Number two, listen to the advice of Jesus. He says this in verse 17. For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I need nothing, and you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and your ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Jesus reveals the root of their problem. They are wretched people. They're, they're just miserable on the inside. They got, the, they got Jesus in their heart, but they're still miserable because of the way they're living. They're pitiful. Other believers look at them and say, man, I, I don't want to go to that church. I don't want none of that. They're poor, spiritually bankrupt, not walking with the Lord. Blind. Isn't this sad? They can't even see how bad they are. They don't even know how bad they are. Naked. What does that mean? Humiliated, defeated. Not an ounce of spiritual vitality in them, none whatsoever. No power in their church, none whatsoever. Jesus wants them to come to him, to buy gold so they can be rich, clothes so they, could be, so they don't have to run around in shame, ointment so they can see. And this would have really struck the Laodiceans because they were known for their wealth. And when Jesus said, you know what, you need to come to me and buy for me gold, clothes, and eye salve, they would have thought, oh, no, we don't go to people to buy stuff. People come what? To us. And they buy stuff from who? Us. We don't go to anybody. They come to us. Jesus says, no, you got to come to me. And don't you think it's interesting? He says, you need eye salve from me. By the way, that's what they made in their culture. So you think that was a smack in their face, yes or no? You know what? Your little eye ointment, it ain't nothing. You need my eye ointment. Boy, Jesus reads some email, ain't he? <laughs> he's getting personal. They got it. I mean, he's getting... So what about this buy from God? I, I, we know that grace is free. Amen? We know that, that Jesus died. We, can, we are not able to buy our salvation. We can't work our way to heaven. Jesus had to die so we could be saved. And we received that freely. So why are the Laodiceans told to buy from Jesus? What does that mean? Well, again, this was their language. It was smacking them in the face because they were used to people buying from them. So when Jesus says, you got to come to me, it was their way, it was Jesus' way of getting their attention to say what? You've got to humble yourself. You've got to get off your high horse. And you've got to come to me. A commentary that I read by Marvin Richardson, Vincent from the Word Studies of the New Testament, he put it like this, and I think it's a great way of saying it. The goods of Christ are freely given. Amen to that? Freely given. 
yet they do have a price. Renunciation of self and of the world. See, in order to know Christ, we've got to get humble. We've got to get on our knees, tuck our tail between our legs, and come to Christ and say, I do not have this together. I am a sinner. I mess up. I need you. So for the lukewarm Christian, you need to listen to Jesus and get humbled today and quit living a lukewarm life. Number three, you need to listen to the invitation of Jesus. Christ says in verse 20, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus, look at this picture. Jesus is giving an invitation to these people to get right with him. And the picture is Christ is at a door knocking. But do you know the context? He's knocking on the door of the what? Of the church. So they're inside having a meeting, and Christ is outside. Out, outside wanting to come inside. Is there something wrong with that picture? Yes or no? Yes. They're having the service. They're preaching. They're singing. They're serving. They're doing kids' church. And Jesus is what? Can I come in? Can I come in? Siri says yes, all right. <laughs> So let me say this. He's on the outside of the church, knocking on the door. You know, I often use this verse, Revelation 3.20, for evangelism. You know, he stands at, the, at, at the, the, the door of your heart, and he's knocking, and if you just open and let Christ come in, he'll save you. And, I, and listen, I believe that is appropriate to use for evangelism because he says if anybody hears my voice, that counts lost people. But in context, who's he talking to? The church. He's talking to the church. In context, it's the church. So what does that tell me? The church was acting like who? Lost people. Is that sad, yes or no? Boy, that's sad. The church is acting. Should there be a striking difference in the way that a Christian lives from, from the way that a person that does not know Christ lives, yes or no? Absolutely, there should be a striking difference in the way that we live. Absolutely. My friend, he makes a promise to them. He says, if you open that door, I'll come in, and, man, we'll eat together. So apparently they weren't having a service. They were having a potluck, weren't they? Jesus says, listen, you let me come in, and I'll eat with you, but I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to set you on the throne. We're going to be conquerors. Friends, you know what we need? We need less potluck churches and more throne room churches. We need churches that quit just running in circles for this and that, and we need churches that are crying out to God, that are fervent to the Lord, that are preaching God's word, that are hitting the streets, telling people about Jesus, that are communing with God, that are daily reading their Bibles, daily praying before the Lord, seeking God, trusting in God, praying for revival, asking the Lord to fill them. No more weak, sick, pure, no more weak, sick, deluded Christianity, but a pure, fiery, true relationship with Jesus, that this is not theory 
or philosophy, but this is real. And we trust in God as people of the throne. So you know what we need to do? We need to get off the casserole and get on the throne. We need to trust God and have a real vibrant Christianity. And you know what? He invites you to that. You don't have to live a stale, sick Christian life. He invites you to live a vibrant, fiery, awesome life with Jesus. I do not regret being a Christian. Amen? Wouldn't change it ever. It's the best thing ever. I don't regret it at all. Christ is awesome. He is real. Now, the topic of this was a verse that changed my life. I never told you how this verse changed my life. So you consider everything I just said bonus. Amen? <laughs> Up to this point, this was bonus that you just got. But I was 13 years old. I, I accepted Jesus when I was seven. My mom witnessed to me, and I realized I was a sinner and that I needed Christ, and I, I invited Jesus into my heart. He saved me. I was seven years old. But I didn't really understand the faith that much. And when I was 13, I went to a small little Baptist camp as my first time ever going to youth camp, and, I, and it was my first time ever. And uh, the theme of that week was these verses, was Revelation 3, 14 and 15. And I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold, and how I wish you were hot one or the other, so because you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And man, they, they were teaching that, of how young people, you don't need to be, you know, you're, you don't need to have one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world. You need to make a decision. You need to live for the Lord. You don't need to be indifferent. I mean, I'll tell you, that really spoke to me. And there was some counselor or something, and he got this idea, and he got all the kids of the whole camp that night to come to a little amphitheater that was outside, and he had built this, this cardboard fence. He made it out of cardboard, so I'm guessing he just went around the camp, and whatever he could find, he, he made it. And, he, and he, he made this fence, and all the kids were up there, and, and it was, I remember that night, just all, the lights were on him up on the amphitheater, and it was impromptu, and he probably doesn't even remember it. I don't even know who it was but it impacted me. And I remember he got on that fence, and he was straddling that fence. And he said, some of you kids, man, you got, you've accepted Jesus, and you've got your foot over here, but, man, you, you haven't, you're not dedicated. You're not reading your Bibles. You're not praying. You're not seeking God. You're not in a relationship, and you're just right there in the middle, and you've got to get off that fence. You've got to make a decision. Where are you? And, boy, he was getting fiery, and he took that fence, and he just threw it up in the air, and he said, you've got to rip the fence down. He ripped it. And I thought to myself, I better do that or he's going to beat me up. You know, that's why this dude's dude's for real. And, and man, that really spoke to me. And I went before the Lord at at camp and I said, God, I I don't want to be a fence rider. I, I don't. I don't want to be an average Christian. I want to do something for Jesus. I want to make a difference. God, what do you want? And I felt God urging me to preach the gospel. And I said yes to him at 13 years of age. And, um, and my life's been on a trajectory ever since. Oh, I've been so tempted, though, multiple times to get back on the fence. And my theology has gotten a little bit better since I was 13. I hope it has, by the way. <laughs> But I went on to learn something. Though that, that counselor had good intentions, getting off the fence by just simply ripping it up and ripping it apart, that's a whole lot easier to say than do. Did you know that? That's a whole lot easier to say. And here's what I've learned. 
You can make all the resolutions. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to sign up for this, this, this. That's all great. But if you really want the fence ripped down to where you're living for the Lord, you need to know somebody who's really good at ripping stuff up. And that's Jesus. Because when our Savior, God in flesh, went to the cross and died, when he breathed his last breath, there was a big old curtain in the temple. The Holy of Holies was behind that curtain. And that curtain was symbolic. It meant something. It meant that people are divided from God. But when Jesus died from the top, that giant curtain was ripped in half. Because when Christ died and he rose again, now we can have direct relationship with God. It's not religion that saves us. It's not good works that saves us. It's a real relationship with Jesus where we admit we're sinners, we believe Christ died, and we choose to follow Christ as our Savior. And friend, today, if you find yourself as a born-again Christian, you've accepted Jesus, but yet you want to get on that fence, go to the one who knows how to rip up a fence. Go to Jesus. What we need today is for Christians that are on fire for God to turn the heat up a little bit more. Amen? <laughs> for Christians that are just, or, or maybe you're cold and you don't know Christ at all, you need to get saved. Amen? But if you're a fence rider, you need to come to Christ and say, God, I'm giving you everything today. Rip up the fence. What do you want for my life? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Where Zach will come this morning, and he's going to, uh, with the team and whoever's ready to come, we're going to have a time of invitation where Zach will just play whatever the Lord lays on his heart. And maybe you decided today that you need to come and recommit your life to Jesus afresh and anew to do some business with God at the altar. Maybe you need to come and accept Christ. I'll be more than happy, as we say, to counsel with you about accepting Jesus. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me pray, and we'll respond to God however he leads in our heart today. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We ask you in this moment now to light us on fire, to burn our hearts with the gospel, Lord. Father, Lord, help us not to be lukewarm, uncaring, undevoted, anything like that, but to be passionate for the gospel. Help us to know that you are for us, not against us, that you love us. You love us, God. And I pray that the love of Jesus gets all over us. Lord, you don't discipline children that aren't yours. You only discipline your children. So, Lord, today, if there's somebody that's being dealt with as a child of God to get off the fence, rip the fence up, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus.